We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Partners in the Gospel on 100.7 FM, The Word. I'm your host, Chaim Goldman, The Watchman. On Partners in the Gospel, we talk with ministry leaders, pastors, other local community members, as well as national influencers who are making a kingdom impact. Today's program is a best of the full interview we recorded a couple of months ago with best-selling author and radio host here on the Salem Radio Network, Eric Metaxas, discussing his latest book, Letter to the American Church. So, Eric Metaxas, welcome to Partners in the Gospel. Well, thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Oh, it's excellent. We love when you're here in Colorado Springs. Uh, Eric, if you don't know, is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Atheism is Dead and Bonhoeffer and Amazing Grace and, and other great books. Uh, Eric is an influencer, has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, New Yorker, uh, and CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and of course, the Eric Metaxas Show, nationally syndicated uh, on radio, heard here in Colorado Springs on the weekend, at here on The Word, and also on The Answer, 1460 AM, and 300 nationwide outlets. And uh, he lives in New York City with his wife and daughter. Today, so excited. Uh, this is really, I'm saying this, my favorite book uh, right now. Such an important book. Uh, Eric's latest, Letter to the American Church, which reveals the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church of the 1930s. And I, you can tell, hi, I'm Goldman. I'm, I'm a believer, but I'm a Messianic Jew. And we Jews are very, very sensitive uh, when things get like they were in Nazi Germany. And this is uh, a bell I've been ringing for a long time. I was so pleased to read this book, Eric, that you put this out as a call to the American church to wake up. So uh, I'm telling everyone to get this book. And, uh, and Eric, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, listen, th- thank you. And, and honestly, I'm, I've never, ever written a book like this. I, first of all, it's my shortest book. Uh, but I, I guess, you know, this is when you see God's hand in your life. Because uh, when I wrote the Bonhoeffer book, came out in 2010, I never dreamt that the Lord would use that book and my Wilberforce book, which I wrote before that, mm-hmm to prepare me for such a time as this, to see exactly what is happening in America right now and to diagnose it and to say this is what God wants us to hear now. And, you know, the basic parallel, you've read the book so you know, but when I wrote the Bonhoeffer book, I knew, I said, this is, I could smell this happening in our country. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I can feel us drifting in this direction. Well, you know, uh, come 2016, 2020, we are there. And I know, I don't say this like, you know, I have some opinion, I have some ideas. I know that God wants to wake up the church in America and that what happened in Germany, the nightmare of the Holocaust and everything else, if you know anything, if you've read my Bonhoeffer book, if you know the history, that nightmare was brought about specifically because of the silence of the German church. There's no question about that. The German church was a very powerful, powerful cultural institution 
the only one that could have stood against the Nazis. So when they believed the lie, these theological lies, that, oh, it's not our job to speak against this. We're going to be apolitical. We're, we don't want to take a stand. They believed that lie just long enough so that the Nazis could take power and mm-hmm. could effectively crush the church and silence the church. That is precisely what is happening in the United States right now. And there are many pastors and Christian leaders that are believing the same lies that the German pastors and Christian leaders believed in the 30s. They said, oh, we have a theological reasons to be quiet. We, we uh, Romans 13, we don't get into that stuff. Right, we're hearing That's those same things today. The, yeah. Well, that, 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 that thinking is a lie from the pit of hell. That's not what, what Romans 13 says, and that's also not, Romans 13 is not all of Scripture. All of Scripture commands us to be a, the conscience of the state. The Church is supposed to speak uh, when we see corruption, when we see evil, when we see lives being destroyed, when we see slavery, when we see the unborn being killed, when we see transgender madness, when we see political corruption. The Lord calls us to speak fearlessly against all these things. And the, the the book we're talking about, Letter to the American Church, has resonated dramatically. I, I had no clue when I was writing it that it would resonate. It's like one of the best sellers in the in the Christian world right now because somehow it struck a nerve and people are thinking, yes, th- this is what I wish my pastor was saying. And so I'm telling people, listen, <laughs> either give a copy to your pastor and, and ask him, uh, does he get it, or find another church because we are in the 11th hour, we are where the German church was in 34, 35. It, if you do not speak up after a certain point, you have no voice. It, it, it and becomes we are, too late, yeah. That, no, that's exactly right, and that's what happened. And I really believe that the Lord called me to write this book. In fact, I don't, I don't say that. I know the Lord called yeah. me to write this book because I've never had a feeling like I felt with this book. All the books I've written— I know the Lord was with me, and, and but there was when when I got these ideas, I said I had this burning feeling like the Lord desires me to write this right now. I have to get this out now, and I was going to publish it myself. Um, and it, long story short, I uh, I published it with Salem, which is my publisher. But I, it's the shortest book I've ever written, and even though it's called Letter to the American Church, I was going to call it. Faith without works is dead, because that's at the heart of the misconception in the American church, just as it was at the heart of the misconception in the German church in the 30s. They said, oh, it's all about faith, it's all about what I believe, it's my theology, I believe this and this and this, and, this. and it's very private, right? It's kind of like, well, I'm saved because I believe this stuff. That's, that's not why the Lord saves you, to bring you to heaven. He leaves you here to now live out your faith here, fearlessly. And make, a, make an impact. Yeah, and we have somehow we got the wrong memo, and we 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 believe what the German Church believed, and so the parallels are so dramatic that I said I have to put this down in a book so people can read for themselves, and they can see that God is calling them well, to act. Well, what is it? To speak. What what is it? What are some of the things that you're seeing the American Church doing that's repeating exactly what the German Church did that led to the Holocaust? Well, there's a, there's a chapter in the book, Letter to the American Church, called The Idol of Evangelism. In other words, the idea that the only thing that we're supposed to do is worry about saving souls. And that's not, that's not biblical, right? Biblically, uh, of course, we're supposed to worry about saving souls. Like, that's, you know, unbelievably important. But if you 
refuse to speak on anything controversial because you're afraid I might push somebody away or from some people Jesus off. or whatever. You tie yourself in knots. You silence yourself. And that's what happened to the German church. The German church said, oh, we don't want to we don't want to speak on anything controversial. We're just going to speak on gospel-related issues, you know. And you think truth is a gospel-related issue. They're killing <laughs> the Jews. They are. They are. They are demonizing this group of people. And if you don't see that as 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 what God would call you to denounce publicly and to stand against and to lose to use your political power to fight against it, and the church had tremendous power, and they said, no, we're just going to we're going to step to the side. We're going to take a safe religious uh, kind of path. We're, we're not going to do, we're not going to take sides on this, you know, and I think that is what opened the door. I mean, there's no question when you think of the evil of what happened in Germany, anybody who read my Bonhoeffer book knows that that was because the church failed to act and speak. And Bonhoeffer tried and tried to wake them up before it was too late. And they just, they weren't interested. They were, they were either cowardly or fearful or or, you know, this is where just people get, like, bad theology, where they, they have this kind of fussy religious view that says, no, I'm only supposed to care about the theological. And you think, wait a minute, <laughs> the whole point of the theological is to affect everything else. If you understand who God is and what he's done, and it, it's supposed to affect your whole life. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, just stay in that theological lane, that's the voice of the devil. He would be very happy for you to just stay in your little theological lane. Don't take your faith out into the marketplace. Don't take your faith out into the culture and into schools and into... Our faith is supposed to be brought out because it affects everything. I mean, the slave trade, uh, it was a Christian politician, William Wilberforce, about whom I wrote in my book, Amazing Grace. He took his faith into politics and into the English culture, and he said, because of my faith in the God of this Bible, I stand against the slave trade, against this abomination. And there were many at the time who said to him, don't mix faith and politics. They have nothing to do with each other. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. The the truth of God affects everything. And if you love your neighbor, you're going to speak the truth for their sake, for the sake of the African slaves, for the sake of the Jews, for the sake of the unborn, for the sake of families being torn apart by the transgender madness, Mm -hmm. and on and on and on and on. So God calls us to the center of this conversation, and many people... Um, they don't want to hear it, or they say not yet. And my the reason I wrote a letter to the American church is because that is exactly the excuse given by German Christian leaders at that time. We saw what happened. It is a nightmare beyond anything most of us even want to think about, but that was because of the silence of the church at that time. Mm. So, Eric, there's so much I want to talk to you about. We have about a minute left in the segment. I want to ask you to come back into a second segment that will run in another show. But I, I want to say you have a lot of fans here in the Pikes Peak region. This is the home of America's Mountain. You've visited us here many times. And uh, yes. what message do you have for our local community here as we approach our mayoral and city council elections this spring? Well, I would say if, if the church would really be the church and get active, uh, you'll change the world. You know, we always talk about wanting to change the world and, and make it reflect biblical values. Christians have to act. They have to be willing to fight for what is right and true. And if you act like, well, that's not my job, you are abdicating what God gave you your saving faith for. Because again, he doesn't translate you to heaven the minute you get saved. He says, okay, now be my voice in that culture. And that, that you know, that can mean anything. 
But the point is that we're supposed to be Christians 24-7. It's supposed to inform everything we do. It's not just something we do on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just believe that God called me to write this book Absolutely. because this is central misunderstanding of the church in America today. The book is Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas, published by Salem Books and available at ericmetaxas.com and wherever books are sold. Coming up after the quick break, part two of my interview with best-selling author and radio host Eric Metaxas. I'm Chaim Goldman. We'll be right back on 100.7 The Word. Hi, this is Chaim Goldman, The Watchman, new host of Partners in the Gospel on The Word, 100.7 FM in Colorado Springs. Would you like to suggest a ministry leader, pastor, or other member of our community who is making a true kingdom impact to be a guest on Partners in the Gospel program? Maybe even suggest yourself. Well, we'd love to hear from you. Please call me, Chaim Goldman, at Salem Media Group at 719-388-0386. That's 719-388-0386. Welcome back to Partners in the Gospel. I'm Chaim Goldman, The Watchman. On this segment, we have part two of our interview with author and radio host Eric Metaxas talking about his latest best-selling book, Letter to the American Church. Eric, welcome back to Partners in the Gospel. It's a joy to be back. Thank you. Well, Eric Metaxas, as you probably know, is a, is a, a number one New York Times bestselling author of many books, including Bonhoeffer uh, and uh, Amazing Grace and Is Atheism Dead? Uh, he appears on media all over the place and has his Eric Metaxas show nationally syndicated, uh, heard here on the weekends in Colorado Springs and across the nation on 300 different outlets. And today, uh, because there was just so much to talk about, bringing Eric back for a second time to talk about his new book, Letter to the American Church, which reveals the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church in the 1930s. It's absolutely a must read. Get this book. Get it into the hands of pastors. Eric knows that God told him to write it. It's a prophetic book. It's a wake up call. And uh, if we don't heed it, as uh, many didn't heed, well, Bonhoeffer wasn't heeded. Um, we look to repeat it and in a much potentially worse way because we were warned uh, if the Holocaust didn't teach us anything, I don't know what did. And as a Jewish believer, I'm very sensitive to this stuff. So, so Eric, um, this is absolutely a, a spirit-inspired book um, that we need to look inward as the American church, and that's to each individual Christian. Um, what two questions should every member of the American church be asking him or herself at this uh, dire hour in our nation and our world? Well, I mean, the, the way I see it, uh, first of all, I mean, thank you for your, your kind words. I, I am thrilled when people, uh, you know, are excited about something I wrote because, I, you know, I'm not just writing it to write it. I, I believe God wanted me to write this in particular and, uh, it, you know, wanted it to be readable and something that people can can get it. It's not it's it's not just another book because, you know, I have a radio program. I interview people almost every day who've written books and a lot of books are not that readable. They may be good, but you you really, you know, w- to communicate something vitally important, you want it to be communicated in a way that that people want to read it or can read it easily. And I, I'm thrilled when I hear you and other people say that about this book, because I, I do feel like this is a very, very urgent message. Now, in the book, again, the title is Letter to the American Church, there's a chapter called 12,000 Pastors, and i got to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Basically, in Germany, uh, in 1933, when Hitler took power, right away, they tried to bring a, an anti-biblical worldview 
to Germany. And what that was at the center of it was a racial view that the Jews are evil, that we want to be a pure German nation. So what happened, of course, is they also wanted to take over the church. The German state, and this is one of the parallels we have today, is that you have this this uh, powerful uh, governmental authority trying to take over everything, including the Church of Jesus Christ in Germany. And so they wanted to impose their views, just like now you're seeing, uh, you know, the, the, the state and the culture trying to impose an unbiblical view of sexuality, whatever it is, into churches and on and on and on and on. That's what happens, and the church has to fight back. So in 1933, Hitler takes power, and the first thing they do is they start basically demonizing the Jews and saying the Jews can't be involved in this uh, part of culture and this part of culture, this part of culture. And then they said, nor in the German church. We're going to have a pure German Reichskirche. We're going to have a German church. And if you have Jewish blood, which tons of German Christians did, they, they had converted, you know, 100 years before, 50 years before, the, 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 the Nazis were saying, no, we're, we see things along racial lines. So this is when Bonhoeffer and others said, wait a second. Wait a second. Mm-hmm. Jesus was a Jew. All of the early Christians were Jew. Jews. This idea is preposterous. It's totally unbiblical. There's neither Jew nor Greek. If you have faith in Christ, you're part of the church. This can't stand. So they drafted this thing called the Barman Declaration. Obviously, I write about this in, in the book Letter to the American Church, so it's clear. But there were about 18,000 Lutheran pastors in Germany at this time. And Maybe 6,000 bravely signed the Barman Declaration. Only 6,000 who said, we are going to stand. We're not going to let the church take, be taken over by the state. We're going to, we worship Jesus. We're not going to let these unbiblical ideas come into the church. So about 6,000 of the 18,000 signed it. But the pressure put on Christians uh, and Germans in the two years from 33 to 35 was so strong, very similar to what we're seeing today, the cancel culture, you'll lose your job, you'll, you'll get in trouble, you'll get in the... By 1935, two years later, only 3,000 of the 18,000 Germans stood strongly with mm. this Barman Declaration, were willing to stand against the Nazis, 3,000. But the reason I say this is because on the other end of the spectrum, there were about 3,000 who were very strong pro-Hitler uh, people in the church who were completely opposed to the Barman Declaration. So they were really, it's kind of like the woke maniacs that have taken over a few churches. Like there's some certain churches that are 100% woke and crazy and whatever. Okay, but That would like key. protest a Super Bowl ad that featured Jesus, right? Well, yeah, that crazy. For, among yeah. other things, yeah. <laughs> among other things, right? So you have 3,000 standing strongly for Jesus, bravely, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have 3,000 standing dramatically with the state and happy to give the church over to whatever the zeitgeist, whatever's mm-hmm. going on in the culture, all this wicked stuff. But the key, and the reason I titled the chapter 12,000 Pastors, is that you got 3,000 on one end mm-hmm. that are heroes, 3,000 on the other end that are opposed. But in the middle, there were 12,000 pastors, Lutheran pastors, who refused to take a stand. They refused to, quote unquote, get political. They said, we're just going to stand in the middle and we are going to avoid controversy. We're going to avoid politics. Sounds we're like lukewarmness. Preach the gospel. Well, I'll tell you, think about it. They believed the lie, which is 
the reason I wrote the book is because this lie is dramatically present in the American evangelical church today. And what's the lie? We're not supposed to be divisive. We're not supposed to comment on anything. Though all those things, all those other things are not gospel-related issues, we're just going to stick to this theological stuff. And they refused to take a stand against any number of the wickednesses that were being pushed by the Nazis because they said, you know what, we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want our churches to uh, to get canceled, to get closed. We don't want to, you know, lose this or lose that. We don't want to divide our congregations. They said nothing. They were silent in the face of evil, and they gave theological reasons. Now, the theological reasons were 100% wrong and unbiblical, mm-hmm. but they believed they had cover. They said, this is the re- religious thing. It's like when somebody says, you know, Jesus would get the vaccine, or Jesus, like, you know, when people are going to give you these kind of cliches mm-hmm. just to shut you up, and that's what the German church was doing. They said, it's our job to be nice, to be Christian, not to get involved, not to get involved in this political battle. And so the reason I titled the chapter in the book's letter to the American church, but the chapter is called 12,000 pastors because they were the ones by trying to stand safely in the middle who allowed evil to triumph. If more of them had stood with the 3000 heroes, what happened in Germany never would have happened. And that's what's so dramatic is that I know from writing the Bonhoeffer book that that is true. In other words, this is not like, Oh, well, they never could have succeeded. If the German church had stood as Bonhoeffer was exhorting them to stand, they absolutely could have succeeded because the German church had great cultural power. Mm -hmm. But there were only 3,000 of them really willing to suffer, to take it. And so what happened, of course, we know the story. And and, and I title the chapter 12,000 Pastors because that's where we are in the church today. We have in the middle the majority of Christian leaders thinking – God's going to give them a pass. They can just stand to the side here, not be too political. That is the voice of the devil, because that's exactly what the German leaders bought as an idea. And by the time they understood what their silence had allowed, it was too late. Hmm. And that's precisely where we are. That's why I have an urgency about this book, to get this message out. Well, well, let's end this on a very positive but humble note. Um, There's something that people refer to as American exceptionalism, and and people uh, protest that and don't think that it's proper. You you have a great perspective on it, that it is both true, but we need to have a Christian perspective on it. So how can people be sure that the United States has been given a special calling by God as opposed to simply acquiring it through force? And and what is the, the proper Christian view toward this really burden, this calling, this amazing uh, uh, work that God's calling us to do here in America? Well, that's the whole thing is that if God gives you something, he doesn't give it to you for you. He gives it to you for others. If you're blessed, you're blessed to be a blessing. And so the freedoms we have in this nation affect the entire world. There are people all around the world, like my parents, before they came here in the 50s, they looked to America as a golden beacon, flawed, imperfect, but the best hope that they had in this world of finding a place where they would have a level playing field and on and on and on. There's this idea of freedom and this history. And this is what, what God gives us as a gift. We don't deserve it. Americans aren't better than other people. But we've been privileged to live in a nation that says we have free speech. We have freedom of religion. This has made us strong and a blessing to the whole world 
for a long, long time. And it is going away because most people don't understand this. They've adopted the kind of, you know, reigning Marxist view, this anti-American view. Mm -hmm. And it's really vital that we understand that we're blessed to be a blessing. And when, when God calls us to be political, it's not because we're supposed to make an idol of politics, but William Wilberforce stood against the slave trade because he knew it was wicked. And God gave him an opportunity to change his culture and to change all of Europe and ultimately the whole world as a result of his Christian faith. So our faith is supposed to be lived out. And in America, we still have that privilege, but it's slipping away day by day. As the church is silent, we're going to be more and more marginalized. Hey, Eric, I wish we had more time. I really do. Um, But uh, Colorado Springs, this is a sober warning to us uh, to wake up as the church. The book is Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas, available at ericmetaxas.com and wherever books are sold.